Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, I'm continuing with our Christ-centered mentoring series, and I'm excited to be talking to you about a principle that I like to call becoming a channel of blessing. And I'll unpack that for you and explain what I mean by that. Before we dive in, I wanted to let you know that now is a great time to register for our 2023 Set Apart Conference or to gift a registration for someone else. It makes an amazing Christmas gift. Right now, you can save $20 off the registration cost with our early bird pricing and an additional $20 off if you register a group of two or more. So if you're thinking about Christmas gifts for women in your life, this conference would make a great mother-daughter getaway or sister weekend or group of ladies going on a a road trip that is also spiritually edifying. This weekend is so rich and so powerful because women of every age, from young girls all the way up to older women, are coming together from all seasons of life, from all over the country, from all over the world, with that singular purpose to seek after Jesus together. It's really life-changing. This is a conference that we've been doing for over 13 years, and every single year, I'm always so blessed and so edified and so refreshed being a part of it. If you're interested, click the link in this podcast description or go to setapartgirl.com and click on upcoming events to learn how you can register or gift a registration. Let's talk about becoming a channel of blessing. I hit a point in ministry, and maybe you have too, whether you're mentoring or you're in any other kind of ministry, where I just began to feel very inadequate. And there were moments that I honestly did not feel like I could do the task that God was putting before me to do. I remember a situation once where I was scheduled to speak at a women's conference, and it was late at night, and I was supposed to fly out on a plane the next morning. And it had been just a very stressful and exhausting few weeks. I was run down physically and emotionally, and I felt like I had absolutely nothing to give these women. I felt like they would be better off if I didn't even go. I just felt very depleted, like, what am I going to share with them? I'm so emotionally drained right now. And on top of that, I had agreed to bring my three-year-old son along with me on this trip. And I was traveling by myself. It's not like my husband was coming with me. I didn't have an assistant with me. And I, I was bringing him because he was connecting with members of his birth family in the area. And I just, I felt like there's no way I can go. And I, I just wanted to crawl back in bed and say, okay, I'm done. I can't, I'm going to have to cancel this. I don't have anything to give. And as I begin to pray about it and and think about, okay, God, how would you want me to respond when I'm feeling so depleted and like I don't have anything I can really offer anyone? And Eric and I prayed together. And one of the things that came to mind was the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples found themselves in a very similar situation as the one that I was in. It was that complete inability to do what God had called them to do. I mean, think about the story for a minute. It's easy to Sunday schoolize that story and not really understand the problem that Jesus was putting before the disciples. When he told them to provide food for more than 5,000 people in the wilderness, the odds were completely against them. If you think about what the story says, it says they were in a desert place. That's a dry, desolate wilderness area where food was either scarce or non-existent. And secondly, they didn't have the money to feed this entire multitude, this huge crowd. Philip pointed out that even if they did somehow get together a large sum of money to purchase food, it would not be sufficient to feed that big of a crowd. 
And third, it was late in the day. It was almost dark. And so presumably, if there were surrounding towns or villages, they would be shutting down for the night. So even if the disciples could somehow scrape together money that they didn't have for food, there wouldn't be anywhere to go to even buy it. The only asset that they had was this little boy's lunch, which was hardly even worth mentioning in light of that kind of overwhelming need and that insurmountable problem. Jesus was asking them to do the impossible. And that's how I felt that night as I was packing my suitcase thinking, I can't do this. I can't go speak at this conference. I can't travel across the country with a three-year-old when I'm this depleted. But in the story, Jesus was not asking the disciples to look to their own resources, their own abilities, their own wisdom in order to obey his request. It says in John 6, 6 that he himself knew what he would do. He already had a plan in mind. The disciples didn't need to figure out how to provide bread for this crowd. They simply needed to get in step with the bread of life himself. Now, that was the critical reminder that I needed in that moment when I felt like I couldn't give anything to these women. The next day, by God's grace, I was on a plane with my three-year-old, and I remember being on the stage speaking, and it turned out to be one of the most powerful messages that I had ever given, and it wasn't anything I had within myself. It was like God working through me, enabling me, equipping me to give what I simply could not give on my own. Even in my weakness and helplessness, he supplied what I needed in order to get outside of myself and offer something of value to others. That experience took place about 11 years ago, but it really taught me a vital spiritual lesson that I have never forgotten. If I focus on my own inadequacy, my own lack, I hinder his light from shining through me, and I miss that privilege of being a conduit of his love to the souls that he brings to me to be a blessing to them. And that's really the channel of blessing principle. Even though not all of us are going to be called to physically feed a huge crowd of people in a wilderness like the disciples were, or even called to speak at a women's conference for that matter, like I was 11 years ago in that situation, we have all been called to be a conduit of God's love and hope to other people, no matter what our situation or our season of life. And when it comes to mentoring relationships, one of the biggest struggles and one of the reasons why women hesitate to disciple younger women, they hesitate to be a mentor in someone's life, is that feeling of inadequacy, that feeling that I don't have anything to give, that feeling that, you know, this is really an impossible calling. It's it's better suited for someone who has a lot of natural talent or natural wit or a certain kind of personality. But just like Jesus asking the disciples to feed that crowd that day, it's an impossible calling. And if the calling doesn't feel impossible, then that's a red flag because we're going to be looking to our own strength to do something that only God can do. A lot of us really hesitate to say yes to God's calling to teach and disciple younger women because of our feelings of weakness and inadequacy. We're very quick to forget that what God calls us to, he equips us for. But we need to remember that he is ready and waiting to provide us with spiritual refreshment to offer other people if we allow him to. As the body of Christ, we are supposed to be carriers of his hope and light and truth to a desperately needy world. But just like the disciples, we need to look to him to supply what we need in order to fulfill that calling. 
I recently have been studying the life of my great-grandmother, whose name was Ida. She was a wife and mother of seven who lived on a rural farm in Texas during the Depression. And her life really fascinates me. She was a simple, hardworking countrywoman, and she was never educated beyond the eighth grade. But she had a mighty faith in a mighty God. I met her when I was very young, but I don't remember her because she died when I was a toddler. But growing up, I frequently heard stories about how she always made room at her table. For weary travelers during the Depression, there were always people passing through, trying to get from one place to another to try to find food or work, and she always made room for them and fed them and encouraged them. And I heard so many stories about the amazing and outward-focused life that she lived. And when I compare her givenness, her willingness to help others, to the feeling of hesitation that I often have when it comes to helping others and giving to others, it really puts me to shame. Before my grandfather died, he talked to me about his mother, and this is one of her sons, one of her seven children, and this is how he described her life. There were so many instances of helping others. It was an everyday occurrence. She was raising seven children and took care of us in every way a mother could. In the early days, there was no electricity, no washing machine. We lived in the drought days, the depression days, and she weathered all of that, not only without complaint, but with joy. I remember her working around the house, washing dishes, sweeping the floor, and she whistled and sang all the time. You'd walk into the house and she would just be singing a hymn, just emanating happiness. In spite of taking care of us in those conditions, she also helped people in the community. Most babies were born at home, and she was a midwife to so many, and particularly to one family with several kids where the father drank quite a bit. They were very poor farmers. He would come over and say, Ms. Ida, it's time again. She would wrap up whatever she was doing and take off and deliver that baby. There was a woman in our community who was ostracized because she was a former prostitute. One day she got very ill. She didn't have money for a doctor or a hospital, so she was confined at home. Her husband couldn't quit work to take care of her, but my mother took care of her for two weeks. It didn't matter who that woman was. She was sick and needed help, and my mother was there. Another man had scarlet fever and no one to take care of him. With that disease, you were supposed to put quarantine signs up and keep people out of the house. But my mother went to help him. She cleaned her face and hands with a disinfectant solution so she wouldn't bring it back to her family. And she prayed to the good Lord to take care of her. And it worked out that way. Now, that was just a brief glimpse of her life as told by one of her sons when he was in his later years. And yet he still remembers in vivid detail that joyful outward life that she led. And when I hear those stories, it causes me to ask the question, how was this simple woman, never educated beyond the eighth grade, living in the Great Depression, living on a farm with seven children, how was she able to live such a life of energetic joy and sacrificial love, tirelessly serving her community, showing constant hospitality to strangers, raising seven children on a farm during that difficult time in history? She didn't have any modern advice about setting boundaries, protecting me time, establishing a daily self-care routine, all the things we hear about all the time in our modern world. She didn't have conferences, blogs, or women's groups to help her with emotional processing or goal setting or personality tests or personal introspection. There was no social media or Netflix to offer a temporary escape from that hustle and bustle of her daily life but she didn't seem to need any of those things. You think about her son describing how she used to just sing and hum around the house, just emanating joy. 
In a lot of Christian circles today, a woman like Ida, my great-grandmother, would be told that such a demanding and outward-focused life would eventually lead to burnout or emotional exhaustion or blurry self-identity. She's letting her own identity get lost and swallowed up in all these other people that she's serving. But those ideas weren't really part of the thinking back in the mid-1900s. And my great-grandmother lived a joyfully poured out life, and she was never too busy to help someone in need. And even in her later years, she was emanating joy. She didn't live in a constant state of stress and being overwhelmed. It was actually the opposite. She was emanating peace and happiness. So what was her secret? A number of years ago, I was given an article that she wrote in 1923 for her local newspaper. And I guess back in that time, it was not unheard of for secular newspapers to print articles about spiritual truth. But in the article, she describes her personal journey to become what she called a channel of God's blessing to others. Here's an excerpt of what she wrote. Let our prayers not always be, Lord, bless us and send blessings upon us. Rather, let us pray, bless me, Lord, and make me a blessing. Then the blessings God has given us shall be a blessing both to our fellow man and to God. Are you a channel which conveys the blessing of God to hungering, thirsting souls? Or are you just a sponge which absorbs all the blessings God bestows upon you and gives nothing in return? To serve God, we must learn to love and serve our fellow man. May we ever be an open channel through which God's blessings may flow and not a dam to stop the waters and withhold them from a sea of thirsty souls. It was that principle of being an open channel of the blessings of God that equipped her to tirelessly serve other people year after year, never burning out, never losing hope, and never giving up. And that is the same principle that we see when the disciples were asked to give to the multitude. It says that Jesus gave to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitude. And that is the principle of becoming a channel of blessing. And in our next episode, I'm actually going to go deeper into this because she writes more about that in her article. I'm going to read more of the article to you. But this is the very lesson that God taught me in my own life all of those years ago when I felt so completely inadequate for the task sitting in front of me. And this is the secret to living that outward focused, selfless life that he has called you to live. Even when you feel like the task is impossible, especially when you feel like it's impossible, that channel of blessing is available to you if you are willing to receive it. We just need to become a flow through channel for what God wants to give to another person. We so often hinder the flow of his blessing because we look to what we feel we can give and usually it's not enough and we just want to walk away. So in the next episode, like I said, we'll get more into the practical side of this principle of becoming a channel of blessing. But here are a few final thoughts that I want to share with you today. Wherever you are at today, whatever your season you're in, I challenge you to ask God how you can become a channel of his blessing to others, a conduit of his love and grace and hope and peace. You may feel overwhelmed, but remember that he 
is never overwhelmed. You may feel inadequate, but remember, he is more than adequate. You may feel the impossibility of meeting the need that is in front of you, just like the disciples did when they were facing the need of that hungry crowd. But we need to remember that we serve a God of the impossible. So in your mentoring relationships, if you feel weak and inadequate, remember how the disciples felt when they were not able to feed that crowd and remember what Jesus did in order to equip them to fulfill the call that he had given them. He can do the same for you. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into living a set-apart life for Christ, visit us at setapartgirl.com and check out the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.